name is Milo. I'm one of the student leaders here at Salt Company. And before we dive into the text for tonight, um, I just want to let you know that there is like a rack, like a bookshelf of Bibles out there. It looks just like this one. I got this one my freshman year. I kind of felt like I was stealing it because it was just sitting on a chair. But that's what they're there for. They're there for you to take and to read. And I can't tell you how much this book has changed my life. And so like if you guys need a Bible or are looking for one, there are free Bibles out there, so grab one. And now I'll read to you 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, not, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Pray with me. Yeah, God, um, I just thank you for this night, for the opportunity to gather together to hear your great word. Um, Spirit, would you move through Roger as he comes and teaches us? Um, would you light up the words in this book, Lord? Would you just guide our hearts and open our hearts to, to hear about you, to experience you? Yeah, God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. It's an honor to be with you guys tonight. My name is Roger. I'm the Japan Church Plant leader. And yes, um, I'm really excited about tonight. Um, just for many reasons, like part of the passage tonight, those last two verses that Milo read, are like super special to me because when I, I lived overseas for about four years and when I was there, right before I left, for some reason or another, like this verse just like really landed in my heart. And it was just like an encouragement a life-giving thing to me. Um, like I even put it on my little magnets that I gave to people before I left. And so I love this passage. And the second reason I'm like really, really excited is that I love Peter. Like Peter is, might be, apart from Jesus, of course, like my favorite character in the Bible. Him and Moses, it's pretty close. But the reason I love Peter is because Peter is kind of, he's like my type of guy. Like I love how just like passionate, bold and kind of like wild no filter that he is, right? Like he's the type of guy that like if you have a group of friends and there's a brawl that's about to, that's about to happen, Peter's the first guy throwing a punch. And for some reason I like love that about Peter, you know. Like sometimes you read the Bible and we know like they're human, right? Like this is real people, these people are humans. But they just like feel too good, right? You're like, man, it, just, it, it feels like this is like people walk around with a halo on. Like they just seem like too good. But Peter, you look at his life, right, and there's these, like, really great moments. 
right, where he's the first person, Jesus is asking his disciples, he says, guys, who do people say that I am? I mean, like, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're this, some people say you're that. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter is the first person, right, to confess Jesus as the Messiah. He says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, yeah, God has revealed that to you. Right? And, when, and when Jesus is out and he's walking on water, Peter's the first one encouraged to say, Lord, call me out. Like, I don't want to go. Right? And I love that about Peter. But then that kind of like, like raw passion in, in, in speaking also has like kind of a dark side to it. Right? And that Peter's also the same guy who when Jesus is like, hey guys, like, the plan is for me to die. And I'm just I'm letting you know because I don't want you to be surprised. And there's a purpose in that. And do you guys remember what Peter told him? Peter's like, don't you dare talk like that, Jesus. Stop that. Jesus is like, boy, no. <laughs> like, this is the plan. Like, literally, Peter rebuked Jesus and says, hey, don't say that. You can't do that, right? And when Jesus is like, hey, guys, like, when I get arrested, like, all of you are going to walk away and you're going to run away and you're going to leave me, right? And do you guys remember what Peter said? No, no, no. They all might do it, but me, I'm not doing that. I'll never leave you, Jesus. Right? And Jesus says, actually, Peter, you, you're going to deny me three times. Right? And so when you look at Peter's life, like, for, I love that you see he's really human. Right? You, you see this great side of him, this, this, this parts of his life that are just being transformed by God. But you also see that he's still a work in progress. And what I love about 1 Peter is that we get Peter towards the end of his life. It's, I want to say, like four to eight years after this. He writes Second Peter, and after that, he's executed for his faith. And as you read First Peter, man, as you guys have been part of it so far, right, the message that Peter keeps saying is that you are going to suffer for your faith, but that it is so worth it because your faith is more valuable, more precious than gold. Because, guys, Jesus is worth it. That's the same guy that was so ashamed to confess that he knew Jesus. It's beautiful to see, look at Peter's life and see how God has just been transforming him. And I love that we almost get a complete picture from the moment Jesus calls him to almost the end of his life, like in the scriptures that we get to see that. And so tonight, there's two things that we're really going to look at that Peter talks about in that passage. Um, the first one, he'll talk about this cornerstone. And the second one, he'll talk about a, a, a people of God, the people of God. And so as you kind of heard that text, really it's like you listen to that and you think, okay, what is going on? Right? Like I can't tell you how many times that we hear the word stone, living stones, spiritual house, builders, cornerstone. Then there's like another rock and people are like tripping over it. Like this is one of those passages that, you know, if you haven't read the Bible a ton, you come to it and you're like, this is why I don't read the Bible. Like, this is literally eight sentences about rocks. <laughs> like, what is going on, right? But, but there's something happening here. Like, th there's something that Peter is telling us, is showing us as he talks about this. But we're just going to have to, like, break it down a little bit. So I hope you got your Bibles. Um, if you got them, keep them open. If you have them on your phone, keep the app open. Don't get distracted by notifications. All right, so verse 4 is where we begin, right? And Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone... And so Peter here is actually continuing a thought from earlier. So the chapters that we have in our Bible, the verses that we have, 
those are actually like put in to kind of help us, help us like read it better, right? They were put into sections that kind of read better, that continue thoughts. But if you were just to go back, it's kind of what, what we've been going through earlier. Peter's been talking about Jesus, right? The author, the, the, the founder of our faith. He, through him is, who we, is how we endure. And so he's just continuing this thought. So as you see here in verse 4, he says, as you come to him, right, speaking of Jesus, and he calls him here a living stone. And then later on, right, then he'll call him a cornerstone is the word that, that he uses for him. And so Jesus, the cornerstone. And there's about eight things that I saw that Peter describes about this cornerstone. And so beginning on verse 4, we see that this cornerstone, Jesus, will be rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. It says that there, are other, there, there also are other living stones around this cornerstone, and they're being built up as a spiritual house. It also tells us that, again, Jesus has been chosen and honored as a cornerstone. It tells us that God laid down this stone. It tells us that the one who believes in him, this cornerstone, will never be put to shame. It tells us that those who believe in this cornerstone will have honor. It tells us that this, this stone that has been rejected is actually a cornerstone. And lastly, it tells us that there are those who are going to stumble and trip over their stone by disobeying this word. And so to even understand, why does, G, why does Peter continue to call Jesus the cornerstone? It's probably important to know what a cornerstone is, right? Like we, we just don't live in this context and a lot of us probably don't have a career in building things. And so it's like, what is a cornerstone? If we're going to understand what, what, Jesus, what Peter is trying to tell us about Jesus, first we've got to understand what is a cornerstone, right? And so at a corner, I'm not an expert in this, so I looked this up. Actually, last time I preached, I also had stuff about building. I don't know if God's trying to tell me something there. But this time a corner. So what is a cornerstone? So what a cornerstone is, when, when, things, when someone would build a house, what they would do is they would take a stone. It's usually the, the strongest, kind of the biggest, the best stone. And they would put it in the corner, right? But that's not it. That's not the only reason it's called a cornerstone, right? So they would put it in the corner. And what that did is for, for the rest of the things that were built, the cornerstone served as a guide to everything else that was built. So you framed everything else that you built for this house according to this cornerstone, right? So you laid this down, and all the other stones that you were using to build this up, you would align them to the stone. Everything had to measure and align according to the cornerstone. So what is Peter telling us? He says, Jesus is the cornerstone. You're starting to see that, right? That Jesus is the center of our faith, right? That, that, that God and the history of humanity actually centers around Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just like randomly appear two-thirds through the Bible. Actually, Jesus has always been there. If you open your Bible, in every single book, there's hints and there's shadows of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, a, a common misunderstanding of God's story in the Bible is this. That the, God's story in the Bible is there's a, there's a bunch of laws and there's a bunch of to-do lists. And essentially, if, if you kind of like do a really good job of fulfilling these laws and you do a really good job at kind of checking off all these to-do lists, then you and God are good. 
in that in between those laws and those to-do lists, the Bible gives us people. The Bible gives us people who are examples, who have followed these laws, who have, who have checked off these to-do lists, and that if we look at them who have done it right, and we model our lives after them, then us and God are good. That's a common misunderstanding of it, right? And maybe you might have even heard sermons, right? It's like 10 ways to be like David, five ways to be like Noah, or no one's probably ever said that, but you, you, you get the point, right? There's, there's a Bible character, and it's like, this is how you're like this, this is, you should be like this person. And there's awesome moments, right? These people in, in, in biblical history have incredible moments that God powerfully works through them. But if you look kind of like a few verses after those moments, you see really broken people that fall so short of God's standard. So we see David, right? So David picks up, he's just like this young guy, he picks up the stone, he kills Goliath, and it's like, whoa, you can be like David, like, if you just have faith, you can kill any giant in your life, right? And then you kind of like fast forward in David's life a little bit, and he sleeps with someone's wife, and then he, to hide it, he kills that man's husband. So, and that's actually the story of so many characters in the Bible. Because the real story of the Bible is that there, were, there is a people that God created for himself. And that this people have lost their way, and they can't find their way back to God. And it's actually filled with examples of people who can't find their way back to God. And it begins with Adam and Eve, who though God provided everything for them, they rejected his love, his care, and his rule over their lives. And so then God gives us the law but we're unable to follow it. And so then God gives us priests to guide us spiritually, to bring us back to him. But they're unable to do that, and they themselves become corrupt. And so then God gives us sacrifices, a way to take away these wrongs that we're committing, but we keep on sinning, so they're only temporary. And then God provides judges, and they're supposed to decide what is right and what is wrong, but they're unable to actually discern what is right and what is wrong. And so then God gives us kings to lead the people back to God. But the kings are unable to do that. They themselves are just self-seeking and selfish and actually lead the people away from God. See, if you step back and you look at the story of God in the Bible you'll see that what God is showing us in, this, in, the, in our story is that we can't find our way back to God. We're actually utterly unable to find our way back to God. We can't keep his law. We need a better law keeper. Right? We can't just, animals' sacrifices won't suffice. We need an ultimate sacrifice. We can't spiritually guide ourselves back to God. We need a better priest. We can't truly judge actually what's objectively right or wrong. We need a better judge. We can't just lead ourselves back to God. We need a better king. And in, in totality, what the story is showing us is that we need God himself to bring us back to him. 
Because in our history, everything we've tried to build up to make ourselves clean, to make ourselves right, eventually just falls apart. And what we actually need is the right cornerstone. We actually need something to build our lives upon that will stand, that will last, that is right. And the text tells us that Jesus is this cornerstone. He is the better king. He is the better priest. He is the better sacrifice. He is the better judge. It is his life, his death, and his resurrection that can make us right with God, that can actually bring us back to him as we were created to be. And he says, the text tells us, Peter tells us, if Jesus is the cornerstone, we still have a choice. He says you have two choices. You can believe in this cornerstone, he says, or you can reject this cornerstone. And when he says believe in this cornerstone, I'm not just talking about like an intellectual belief, right? To say like, oh yeah, that's, that's true, I understand it. When the Bible talks about belief, it talks about a whole life belief, right? That not just your mind and your words, but your whole life shows your, what you believe. It demonstrates what you believe. A belief in Jesus as the cornerstone, it is a surrendering to him, right? A looking at him as a cornerstone and saying, I'm going to align my life with his. It tells us that if Jesus is our cornerstone, it says we're going to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And it's like, what does that mean, right? It means, guys, we, we give our time, our talent, and our treasure to God. And we say, God, this is, you've, everything I have, you gave me. This is yours. My time, how do you want me to spend it? The talent, the things you've given me, what do you want me to do with these? Right? My treasure, what, whatever you're going to give me, whatever I have now, whatever you're going to give me in the future, what do you want me to do with this? What, how can I offer this to you? And then he says, and we're being built together as living stones for a spiritual house. Right? And when you think about a house being built, a house isn't just like a bunch of like random stones laying around, right? Like someone doesn't just show up to like a construction site and just like starts launching rocks everywhere. It's like, there it is, we got a house. It's like not the way it works, right? Not an expert in construction, but I, I swear, I know that's true. Like there's actually like care and everything is placed for a reason, right? There's this like unity, there's this significance, and there's like an importance to every single stone, right? So it's like you lay down a cornerstone, okay, this one goes here, this one goes here, this one goes here. And God is telling us that actually all who believe in Jesus as the cornerstone are being built up together into a spiritual house. That actually every single stone, meaning every single person, has a purpose and a significance. And that every rock is the same. You don't have to look like the other people. You don't have to have the talents, the personality. You don't. Actually, God made you the way you are. And he wants to use you and fit you into his spiritual house for a purpose. For as the, in the body of Christ, there is so much beauty and diversity that we aren't the same. It's awesome because there's a purpose and a significance in that. And the, the joy of someone who believes in his cornerstone, who's part of this spiritual house, Peter says this person will never, will never have shame, but they will have honor. And then he says, 
but what about those who reject Jesus as a cornerstone? And, it, and even as you hear about the greatness of Jesus or, or the things that Jesus brings or transforms in people's life, I think a fair question is like, well, why wouldn't someone want that? If Jesus is so awesome, like, well, why wouldn't people want that? You might even ask yourself, why don't I want that? There's just a, why don't I want that? Why don't I just commit to that? And I think the answer is in that Jesus is a cornerstone. That he demands you to align your life to his and not vice versa. I think if Jesus wasn't a cornerstone, if he was just kind of like an add-on, why not, right? It's like, sure, let's put him right here. But what Jesus is calling us as a cornerstone and saying, actually, you're going to align your life to mine. And that's hard, right? That's challenging. I mean, here Jesus, and I'm just like, this is not just like my crazy interpretation of this. Like, anyone who met Jesus, as you're reading through the Gospels, his call was all or nothing. Like, there's no in-between. Right? He would demand everything. In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, this is what he said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? you see that it's all or nothing, right? Jesus, if, if you try to just keep your life and just kind of add me on, he says you're, you'll lose it. You don't actually gain anything. In order to gain real life, he says you actually have to lose your life. Whatever you have, lose it. And guys, the reason why is because Jesus wants to transform all of your life. He doesn't just want to transform, like, and give you a new Sunday morning routine. He doesn't just want to transform your Thursday nights. He doesn't just want to transform some week of your night where you go to this Bible study, this connection group. No. Jesus wants to transform your whole life. Every single part of it. He wants to do something great for his glory and for your good. And so we have that choice. Are we going to accept the cornerstone as a cornerstone? Or are we going to reject it? And to those who do accept it, Peter gives us this beautiful promise to those people who accept Jesus as the cornerstone, right? And so let's look back again at verses 9 through 10. And this is what he says. He says, but you are a chosen, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Man, what, what a promise. What a, what a song, I, I really think of that as almost like as a song that Peter's just singing over the people of God. And look at those terms that he uses, right? He says, 
a chosen, a chosen race. I can't say that word, apparently. A chosen race, right? Chosen by God. And that doesn't mean, like, there's just one specific ethnic group or, or type of people that God's like, yeah, I, I just want that group. Again, Peter's saying to anyone who believes in Jesus as a cornerstone, he says, you've become a chosen race for God. God says, like, I want you. It's not just like an accident that, like, at the end of the day, there's like six people left, and God's like, all right, I'll take you guys. That's, that's all that's left. Like, you're the chosen people now because by default, no one else is here, right? But actually, God, before the foundation of the world, before you did anything good or bad, God says, I, I choose you. I chose you to be mine, right? And then he says, you are a royal priesthood. It's like, what does that mean? Am I a priest now? Like, okay, let's explain what that means, right? So there's, there's two unique things about priest in, during this time. So the first one was that priest had special access to God, All right? They were the only people actually to, to have a certain relationship and encounter with God. The second thing was that they were, um, they were called to do service for God. So meaning they were able to be mediators between God and the people, Right, so they, they would bring the people's requests before God, and then they would proclaim what God spoke unto them to the people. And Peter is saying, guys, you are now, all of you, a royal priesthood. That you actually have equal access to God as anyone else. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're the, the best speaker in this country, or if you're just an average salesman. God says you, you have equal access to God if Jesus is your cornerstone. And it also gives us a calling, right, to say that you are actually called to be part of the work of being a mediator, right, between the people and God, to bring the request, the calls of the people, and to proclaim the praises of God to the people. The third thing he tells them is, he says, you are a holy nation. Long ago, God called Abraham. And he told Abraham, I'm, I'm going to make a people out of you. And he makes his people Israel. And he blesses Israel. He chooses Israel, not because they were any better than anyone around them. God just chose them and says, you're going to be my people. And he tells them, and I want you to be a light to all the nations around you. And so Israel's call, that's actually as God chose them and blessed them, they were supposed to be a light so that all the nations around them would look at Israel in the way God provided for them, in the way they depend on him. And they were supposed to look at Israel and say, Israel's God is the real God. That is the real God we ought to be following. And so now Peter is saying, guys, to all of you who believe in Jesus as a cornerstone, he says, you are a holy nation that you are called to be a light to the nations around you. And so guys, you, you who Jesus is your cornerstone today, God is actually calling you to be a light to the people around you. So that when people look at your life, your works, your words, and your ways, people are supposed to look at you and say, that person's God is the real God. That person's faith is the real faith. Like, that's it. That, that's, that's the real way. That's the real purpose. That's the real life. 
That's what Jesus kept saying. He says, guys, people are supposed to look at your life and praise your heavenly Father because of your life. They're supposed to look at you and say, that's it. That's what we're all looking for. Look at what he, va- look at what he values. Look what she values. Look how she lives. Guys, that's it. That's it. That's the call to be a holy nation. And lastly, he says, you're supposed to be a, a people for his possession. And God is saying, you're to be a people that belong to me. And, and hear, the, hear the love of that, right? God's like, man, you're mine. And I want to care for you. I want to love you. And I want to do incredible th- things through you. I want to use you for my glory and your good. And why does God do this? You know, what, what are we supposed to do with that? God has richly blessed us and brought us in. Though we lost our way, God has brought us back in. And look, what do we do with that now? Look at the turn at verse 9. Right? So you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for his possession. And catch this. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why do we do this? Because you were once a people. You you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Because once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Guys, God calls people into him. And then he calls people out to mission. Look at, look at anybody you want. Open that Bible. Pick a spot. If God is calling someone to himself, he calls them out to the world. That's Peter's story. right? The, the guy who's writing this, that's his story. He was a fisherman who Jesus first said, follow me. And do you know what he said after that? He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And I'm going to send you out. God calls people into himself and then out to the world. And guys, there's many of you in here that God has called you into himself. But have you gone out? If God has called you into himself, have you gone out? Because today, in that campus at UW, there's thousands upon thousands of students who are walking in darkness, who are not a people of God, who have not received mercy. God has called you into him so that you may go out to them, just like someone did for you. Whether that was a friend or your family, someone went out to you and brought you in to be a people of God who brought you in to receive mercy. And guys, today, this is, I hope this blows your mind, it blew my mind, 40% of the world has never heard the gospel. Let that sink in. 40% of the world. That's 3 billion people today walking in complete darkness, never, heard, never hearing the gospel. And 
And guys, I, I think about it. With the technology and the resources that we have in life today, like, how is that possible? That literally almost half of the world in 2021 has never heard the gospel. How? Because I, I look at, I kid you not, I look at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has done a better job of reaching the world than the church has. That's facts. Literally, I've been in places in the world that there's someone drinking a can of Coke and them and their entire family before and have never once heard the name of Jesus. Why is that? Because Coke actually believes that their product and their profit is worth them doing whatever they can to get it out to the people. They're willing to pay whatever it takes. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They believe what, what they got is so worth it, they got to get it out to everyone. They believe what they're going to profit from that is so worth it that whatever they pay, it doesn't matter. How come we don't believe that? You know, J Japan, as you guys know, we have a team that's moving to Japan to start a church. There's 127 million people in Japan. 0.5% of them are Christians. 95% of people in Japan are going to live and they're going to die. Never having heard the gospel. Never having read the Bible. Never having had a Christian friend. I just think when you, when you look at Jesus as a cornerstone, guys, that cost him everything. He laid down everything to be that, to bring us back to God. And as you look at your life today, like, can you honestly look at your life? I hope the answer is yes. And can you say, man, I'm giving it my all. Yeah, that question haunts me. Like, maybe haunt's not the right word, but I, I think about this a lot. I do. I, I think about the thought of, man, if I, come at the end of, if I come to the end of my life, I don't want to come to that point and say, gosh, I wish I would have done more. Like, I wish I, was, I wasn't so scared to share my faith with people. Like, I wish I didn't, I wish I, I didn't care as much about what people thought. I, I don't want to come to the end of my life and say that. I really want to come to the end of my life as I stand before God. Guys, and I, I just want to say, God, I gave you everything. I gave you my best. And I know it wasn't perfect, but I, I tried my best. And guys, I hope you say that at the end of your life. Um, John Piper wrote a small book called Don't Waste Your Life. If you haven't read it, I promise you, if you come up to me after this, I will literally buy it for you. If you're willing to read it, and then you give me like a report or something. <laughs> Just for proof. Um, but he has this story. This book was, it was really was a, a life-changing book for me. And he tells a story about these two men at war. It's a real story. Um, I'm just going to read it for you guys. He said, As rainy morning wore into afternoon and the fighting bogged down, the Marines continued to take casualties. Often it was the medics who them, themselves who died as they tried to preserve life. William Hoops of Chattanooga 
was crouching beside a medic named Kelly, who put his head above a protective ridge, a ridge and placed boundaries to his binoculars to his eyes just for an instant to spot a sniper who was peppering his area. In that instant, the sniper shot him through the Adam's apple. Hoops, a pharmacist mate himself, struggled frantically to save his friend. I took my forceps and, and reached into his neck to grasp the artery and pinch it off, Hoops recalled. His blood was spurting, he had no speech, but his eyes were on me. He knew I was trying to save his life. I tried everything in the world. I couldn't do it, I tried. The blood was so slippery, I couldn't get the artery. I was trying so hard. And all the while, he just looked at me. He looked directly into my face. The last thing he did as the blood spurts became less and less and less was to pat me on the arm as if to say, that's all right. Then he died. In this heartbreaking moment, I want to be Hoops and I want to be Kelly. I want to be able to say to suffering and perishing people, I tried everything in the world. I was trying so hard. And I want to be able to say to those around me when I die, it's all right to live as Christ and to die as gain. Guys, what, what will you say at the end of your life? What will you say at the end of your life? pray for us. God, help us make our life count. God, we get one life. Lord, if if we were to die today, what would we say? God, would, would we be able to say to suffering and perishing people that we tried everything in the world, that we tried so hard? God, would, you, would we be able to say to people around us that to live is Christ and to die is gain? God, give us the answer. Help us, help us just know where we are. God, help us be honest with ourselves. Just show us that. God, we, we're not okay with 40% of the world never having heard your name. Help us give whatever it takes. Because Jesus, you gave everything. Jesus' name, amen.